Hey everybody, Spencer here from GunCharacterism.com, editor of Drafting Archetypes. The first thing I want to say is thank you so much for the support in the first episode. It means the world to me personally as somebody working hard on the show, and obviously as you'll hear, it means the world to Sam too. This week, uh, as I was editing, Sam and I have made a decision to really focus on the audio version of this podcast, and I want to be really clear about that. We'll be updating the Patreon goals to make sure that the video version of this podcast gets the love that it deserves, and I think that the viewers, if you're viewing this, need. Uh, so head on over to patreon.com slash drafting archetypes if you want to help us achieve our goals for one of the best video and audio podcasts of all time in magic. Sam did a great job this week. I'm really proud of this episode, and I hope you all enjoy learning about Red Black Party as we move forward on the future of Drafting Archetypes. We also heard your comments. We know that we wanted an intro and outro onto this podcast, and we'll be working on it this week. So enjoy the episode, new intro and outro next week, and we'll see you guys all next time on another episode of Drafting Archetypes. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black uh, with uh, Drafting Archetypes. This week we're going to be talking about Red Black Party as per the uh, winner of my Twitter poll in the future. That will be moving to my Patreon, uh, which is at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. And as that is now live, I want to take a moment to uh, first, thank my uh, patrons, Arthur, Michael, Brian, and Stephen, for uh, being early uh, supporters of the podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. And also to everyone else who tweeted nice things about the podcast and gave me constructive feedback or left reviews uh, on any of the streaming platforms or just tuned in. Uh, it absolutely means a lot to me. Really excited to uh, do this episode and uh, the positive feedback that I've gotten from the first episode uh, really uh, contributes to making me uh, just happy and excited to do more of this. So let's get into Red Black Party. So last week I talked about Blue White Party and you might think, okay, look, we, we get it. You covered, you know, what it means to draft party. You need to, like, balance your party types in addition to your curve and stuff like that. But now it's red and black cards instead of blue and white cards. So what's there to talk about? I get it. That's not the case. Uh, Wizards actually did a really good job of making the different uh, party pairs feel really different. While blue and white have more balance among their creature types just in the cards that are available in those colors and their payoffs have specific big rewards for assembling a full party there's an entire cycle of rares that do something really great if you have a full party whereas the uh, party benefits in red black are somewhere between like linear and kind of diminishing returns so uh the whole incentive to like really warp around balancing your party are greatly diminished when you're drafting red black compared to when you're drafting blue white obviously all party cards are going to be better the more party members you have but when you're looking at a card like say shatter skull minotaur which is one of the biggest payoffs for drafting red black party it's like a really really good threat as long as you have just a couple party members the thing is realistically 
it's so unlikely that you cast Shatter Skull Minotaur on turn three. You would need to have a start that's like literally sneaking guide into, say, like a Stonework Pack Beast. And then on turn three, you still only have two things, so you can't do it. So then you would also need an Ardent Electromancer. Now you have three types, and you have three mana, and you can play a Shatter Skull Minotaur, and you've probably won this game. That's the only way you're casting Shatter Skull Minotaur on turn three. If you're trying to cast Shatter Skull Minotaur on turn four, now you basically just need any, like, one and two, or one and three, or two and three mana party creatures of two different types, and to make your fourth land drop, and now you have your 5-4 haste on turn uh, four, and that's basically what you're looking to get out of your Shatter Skull Minotaur. And even if you can't cast it on turn four, it's going to be good on turn five or six or whatever. So the, the value of the card is really not that modular, depending on how good you are at party, as long as you can like do some of it. Like You want this to be a four or five mana spell, you don't want it to be a six mana spell. And a lot of the red-black party stuff is pretty similar to that. Like Grotag Bugcatcher, that's the, the two mana one-two trampler that gets plus X plus O for party. Like, obviously, you love it when that thing is attacking as a 5-2 Trampler. That's a great value for 2 mana, but it's never going to attack for 5 on turn 3, barring maybe some kind of totally ludicrous Ardent Electromancer draw. But for the most part, you're just looking to have, uh, instead of its base, like, I only have this and maybe other warriors, 2-2 value. You want to get it up to, like, a 3-2 Trampler or a 4-2 Trampler, where you now have a creature that's, like, substantially above rate and hitting hard. The thing is... At any of those numbers, your opponent is really just looking to like trade off their first creature for it, and then maybe you get in some in incremental damage, maybe you have a trick. If you have a trick, you're like hitting them very hard, and if you connect with Bug Catcher, your opponent blocks with something, you play a trick, you save your Bug Catcher, you kill their thing, you hit him for a bunch of damage. Generally from that spot, you're, like that's kind of the game state you're trying to assemble with this deck, and so you're going to be in really good shape, regardless of whether your bug catcher happens to have 3 power or 4 power or 5 power. So again, even though it kind of looks linear in its growth, it's really more diminishing returns on extra types, whereas, uh, again, in blue-white, you have like increasing returns as you get the fourth type. So that really changes the texture in red-black. And then supporting that change uh, is the fact that in red in particular, but also in black, you have these mechanics that want you to specialize, and especially in red-black to specialize in warrior. Warrior is the most common creature type between these two colors. There's uh, one more total warrior than there is rogue. They're very similar, but there are more warriors. And you can really just like lean into, well, yeah, I'm going to have a lot of warriors so that my Expedition Champion is on and I can take advantage of Relic Axe. Uh, Expedition Champion is the uh, common 2-3 that's a 4-2 if you have another warrior. Relic Axe is the equipment that uh, makes your warriors bigger. It, it, it's plus one, plus one, two, two mana. E to be attached to something, plus one, plus one if it's a, uh, for anything, uh, plus two, plus one if it's a warrior. And then Gomafado Vanguard is the 2-mana two 2-2 two two that can shut down a blocker with size based on the number of warriors you control. So there are a variety of these cards that want you to be like warrior tribal. And then there's like Expedition Skulker that uh, is the 2-2 two two rogue that has death touch if you have another rogue in black that wants you to have rogues. And so there's kind of this like tension between being pushed to specialize and being pushed to diversify 
from among your party types. There's also, uh, for example, ro rock slide sorcerer that wants you to have a lot of wizards, which is difficult to do in red black, but I have seen red black decks that use rock slide sorcerer pretty well. So at the end of the day, I think the red black deck is able to do both of these because you don't need a full party and you'll have like a bunch of warriors and then the rest of your creatures are going to be reasonably mixed between the other party types so that you can get some party boosts but you also might play some it's not as bad it's not as much of a drawback in terms of evaluating a single card in red black for that card type for that card to not have a party type as it is uh in blue white where so much of the strength of your cards is based on them being turned on by having all your other working parts red black party is nowhere near as much of a i need to assemble full party kind of strategy as uh, blue white is so one thing moving on that i want to talk about with any archetype is so like is this something you're looking to draft or are there certain cards that put you in here or how do you find yourself in this archetype and obviously for any archetype it could just be well i took a good card in one of the colors and i took a good card in the other color and both colors were both of these were open and I never questioned it and that's fine. Obviously it can also be, well, there's a flagstone rare, like I took Zagreus Thief of Heartbeats, which is the uh, four mana, uh, or the six mana four four flyer that like wins the game when you cast it. I mean, it, not as like an ETB, but it gives all your creatures death touch and it's, it has haste and very, very strong. As far as just like, which cards am I first picking that aren't Zagreus that make me specifically kind of want to be exactly red black rather than like them with something else or like how much of the time do I want to be this archetype? I think uh, Bug Catcher, is, like Grotag Bug Catcher is the big card that this deck is kind of about to me. You it, like its thing is that it hits your opponent for a ton of damage, but it's pretty easy for them to trade off with. But in red-black, you have a lot of tricks, you have a lot of removal, you're very good at pushing it through. And so it's, I think this is the archetype that uses it best. I think it's also very good in red-white, but it's much less appealing to me in red-blue and uh, red-green. It's a really strong card, so you'll play it in some aggressive versions of those color combinations, but it's kind of like an all-star in red-white and red-black. And so the, like if I end up with bug catcher reasonably early that would be something that would make me want to be in this archetype obviously any of the uncommons in either of these colors that say party uh i think that red black is a relatively good place to uh, play with those cards but in general i'm mostly just looking to kind of slide into this archetype when these happen to be the colors that are open i have had some success with this archetype, but it's not among my best performing archetypes, and I don't think it's among the deepest or strongest in terms of just the cards that are available. So I'm not, this isn't an archetype that I'm interested in forcing or even biasing toward. It's just something that I'm interested in knowing how to draft for the spots where I do get one of the really strong cards in the archetype, or for when uh, it's just the archetype that's open and the draft kind of points me in this direction and I want to be able to maximize those spots. And it's also really important to know which cards, like how to rank the cards when you're in, it, like particularly when you are drafting the deck when you're in an open seat. Because if you're in an open seat, it means that you're going to be seeing a lot of cards in your colors, which means that you're going to have a lot of choices where you can choose between two or three cards that could all go in your deck, and you're going to really want to know which ones of those cards to take to maximize your spot. I, I do think of red-black as kind of like a mid-tier, not like a priority, but 
definitely a solid deck that uh, you know it's not hard for it to win matches or anything the next big thing that i want to talk about in terms of this whole like how much does party matter and what are we doing with party thing is uh what i call the wizard question the wizard is the rarest type uh in this color combination by quite a i mean there aren't a lot of clerics there are even fewer wizards the wizards that you have access to at common are exactly Stonework Pack Beast, Fissure Wizard, and Ardent Electromancer. And then at rare, there's Magmatic Channeler, and at Uncommon, there's Thundering Spark Mage and Rockslide Sorcerer, both of which are very good. So the wizard question to me is, are you trying to assemble a full party, and are you willing to play with wizards to do it? I know that there exist people who think that Ardent Electromancer and maybe even Fissure Wizard are good cards, or very good cards. I am not among them. I think these cards are really, really bad. I think Fissure Wizard in particular is like downright embarrassing if you don't have uh, things like Thwart the Grave or Blood Beckoning to like kind of take advantage of its uh, discardability. The nature of this set is Kicker exists, DFCs exist, you don't need one-shot looting to balance your draws. You're, you don't need this two-mana, two-ones, like, draw smoother. Your draw is already smooth. And it's just so understated compared to other creatures that it gets, like, bricked really easily, and you're just hoping to trade off with something where your opponent's card was better and maybe they got some extra value out of it. And um, the, like... Floor for Fissure Wizard is your opponent plays like a Nectar Pot or whatever, and you just never get to attack with it, and it doesn't block meaningfully, and you're basically just down a card. The ceiling is maybe you had a bad card to get rid of, and then it, it like trades off with something, I guess. Maybe it gets some damage in because it was a two-drop. But I, I think my worst performing red-black decks have been the ones where I've like really tried to get full party, and I've played Fissure Wizards and Ardent Electromancers to try to make that happen. Ardent Electromancer, I know uh, there are players who like this card. It does have really explosive potential. Every now and then I've seen spots where someone has, you know, the full value Electromancer curve out where, you know, maybe you have the actual, you know, Magic Christmas Land draw where you go one drop, two drop, Ardent Electromancer, Ardent Electromancer, and another three drop or whatever. More realistically, what you're hoping to do with Ardent Electromancer is you play a non-wizard... Uh, one or two mana creature and then on turn really a two drop. You play a non-wizard two drop and then on turn three you play Ardent Electromancer and it lets you play another two drop. So you're plus two mana, you have a lot of creatures on the board, you have a good amount of power and now like the fact that you have this like extra creature in play in the early game means that you can like attack with everything and whatever your opponent does and then they're probably going to have to like trade off a creature with one of your creatures, and you push some extra damage, and now you're just kind of up an attacker for the whole game while you're using removal spells and tricks and attacking to uh, push your advantage. And Ardent Electromancer is absolutely great in those draws. That's definitely like a real game plan where your card is doing something strong. The problem is, if you don't have a 2-drop and then another red 2-drop, so, like, you can't do this if you have two black two-drops. So you have to have a sufficient density of red two-drops that at least one of the two two-drops that you draw will be red. And red or stonework pack beast. 
um, and you have to like play a two drop and then play your Ardent Electromancer. So you have to just have this like really low curve draw. And then you also have to have a decent amount of gas left in the tank after you do that, or the fact that you're not making plays on the following turns will catch up to you. And yeah, you'll have like put an extra thing into play, but then you're not playing a creature on turn four, you're not playing a creature on turn five, and you got a bit of extra damage, but this isn't enough to leverage into a win and your opponent stabilizes. And the problem is there are so many like two mana, two one, two two creatures that are happy to trade off with a three mana three two that it's extremely likely that Ardent Electromancer is going to be trading down on mana itself. And so you really need to get something out of this mana that is given you. And that requires both having this like density at the bottom of your curve to be able to take advantage of it, while also having a balanced, like a spell dense hand that's like you have sufficient action to play after it to keep the pressure on after this early jump. And it's also just not a good draw late, basically, ever. So to me, Ardent Electromancer is kind of just like a win more card where. When you draw perfectly, you get to be even more explosive, but if there's anything wrong with your draw, then you just have this really underpowered card, and that's that's not what I'm about. I would much rather play an Expedition Champion where if my draw is good, now my you know three drop is just one one bigger than it would have been if I'd played an Ardent Electromancer. So my answer to the wizard question is not nah, on need a wizard. If I'm really looking for a party, there's a good chance that I'm really looking for a party because I have a Thundering Spark Mage, and that Thundering Spark Mage will give me my party. I'm I'm not looking to draft in such a way that I'm going to be maximizing our Ardent Electromancer, and I would rather just never put that card in my deck. I fully acknowledge that uh, people who advocate for the card have probably had success with it, and I think that in general, it's good to trust people who say a card is good about that card more than you trust people who say a card is bad, because the people who say it's good probably have a lot of experience playing with it, because the fact that they think it's good means that they draft it and play it a lot. I'm not saying that I'm sure that I'm right about this or anything, but I personally have had bad experiences with, Ar bad experiences with Ardent Electromancer, and it makes sense to me in principle why that is. So I personally am at least reasonably comfortable advocating against embracing Ardent Electromancer as a big part of your strategy, uh, especially given just the way that wizards fit into the big picture in red-black. That's really all the big picture structural concerns that are going on here. So party matters, but not a ton. There are uh, single tribe synergies that you can really lean into. The fact that party uh, matters, but not a ton, means that you can definitely play the especially aggressive non-party creatures, uh, like Pyrostatic Hellion is a pretty good fit in this kind of archetype. Uh, cards like Spitfire Legac and even Dreadworm are acceptable. I'm not really a Dreadworm kind of guy, but I've it's certainly an effective... Like, it's not an embarrassing card when my opponent's played against me or anything. So uh, it's fine to end up with some of those cards in your deck. And it's also worth noting that because your party payoffs are things that you want early, that's just kind of always true, because the party payoff stuff makes your other cards better while it's on the battlefield, the same reason that Blue White wants a low curve. You want your, uh, you care more about your cheaper creatures having party types than your expensive creatures having party types, which is why I call out like Pyrostatic Hellion and Dreadworm and Spitfire Legac that are kind of more curve toppers, and then really prioritize things like Grotag Bugcatcher uh, and Molecure Blood Priest 
that are you know curve starters like two drops and stuff that uh, enable your party early. One card that I want to discuss specifically is Ghastly Gloom Hunter. This is the black 1-1 flyer with lifelink that has kicker um, for when you play it for six total mana it uh, enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters and it's a three three flying lifelinker. Hot take controversial opinion this is potentially my favorite black common. I'm going to be hard pressed to sell you on the idea that this is a more powerful card than Deadly Alliance. I won't try to. Sure, Deadly Alliance is a better card, but uh, I I love Ghastly Gloom Hunter, and I do think Ghastly Gloom Hunter is better than the other removal spells, and I like it more than the other creatures. Um, so I guess I guess really I believe Ghastly Gloom Hunter is the second best black card, but there are archetypes where I would rather have uh, like in green black I'd rather have Gloom Hunter because I don't plan to have a lot of party things to make Deadly Alliance cheap, and then it's just do I want to like good creature or an expensive removal spell, and I want the good creature. Part of that strength is uh, that it has synergies with uh, plus one, plus one counter mechanics in black when you kick it, and it has synergies with life gain triggers and clerics, and it kind of like helps you not get drained out by clerics the same way that I'm very high on Necropot in uh, blue-green. But this, I think, is not the right archetype for Ghastly Gloom Hunter. Uh, it's okay to play it. It's a strong enough card that it's totally fine to play it, but the fact that it's not contributing a party type in the early game, and the fact that because your deck is generally so aggressive, the value that you gain from it having lifelink is relatively minimal, both of those push me to slightly deprioritize Ghastly Gloomhunter, especially in an archetype where I'm really prioritizing uh, the really strong red two drops, like again, always Grotug Bugcatcher, and also cards like uh, Gomafada Vanguard. And there are just a lot of other good two drops that have more synergy in this deck. Uh, that Ghastly Gloom Hunter moves down my pick order a lot in red black compared to how incredibly enamored I am with that card in basically every other black archetype. But still totally playable, still a good kicker card. Never gonna be like really sad that I had to put one of those things in my deck. Gloom Hunter, and then the kind of like big stuff non tribal cards are the like off-tribe stuff that I'm kind of looking for in this archetype, but also, uh, I mean, there are other cards like the Geopede, the 3-1 Trampler that gets plus two, plus two when you play a land. You're an aggressive deck. That's a very strong aggressive card. I'm never going to be sad to take that and put it in this deck, but I, I'm not looking to play like Akum Hellhound in this archetype. I think that like you often want to have like a very slightly low land count, and you just don't really want this card that like sometimes doesn't work out and doesn't contribute to any of your synergies and stuff like that. Creature types matter, but they're not the be-all end-all. I do think that in uh, most cases, this deck ends up being really aggressive, one of the most like dedicated aggressive archetypes there, uh, there are in this format, but you also do a little grinding, uh, particularly with Blood Beckoning and Thwart the Grave, both of which, especially Thwart the Grave, I think are really strong in this archetype. The fact that those are good adds value to creatures that trade off, like Bugcatcher, and creatures with ETB abilities, uh, like Malakir Blood Priest, which also trades off pretty well, and makes me more interested in cards like Demon's Disciple that just straight fill my graveyard for value. And I mean, Blood Beckoning is just a strong card in general. Uh, so it, it's just a good black card that's available, so I want it here. 
There are just a few cards that I've highlighted as cards that I think are kind of important to discuss in general. I've uh, covered several of them already, but just to kind of choose a few more that I haven't talked about yet. Uh, Drana Silencer is a card that gets a lot of hate. Uh, I think people kind of like have overreacted. I don't, I don't think it's as bad as it's like counter hype would indicate. I think it's a little bit uh, underrated or there's a little too much backlash against it for whatever reason. I don't know if people were just like really into Loathsome Catablipus or whatever the Theros Catablipus is that's a very similar effect, a six mana 3-2 that kills a small creature on ETB and maybe they thought that that was a stronger effect in its format than this is in this format and so they like overrated it early and then came way down on it or something. But I think that like Drana Silencer I like when you have like a low curve party stuff with some reanimation and it gives you kind of this like access to kind of a strong grindy end game. I think it's actively good in black white clerics. Not you don't want a ton of them, just like one or two in black white clerics or red black party, I'm never particularly sad to have. I, I think it's totally fine. I'm you know, I, I think Fissure Wizard and Ardent Electromancer are overrated and Drama Silencer is underrated. Although I will point out one cute little like little synergy very little synergy that I, I have had come up that's really charming is uh on the rare occasion when i do play fissure wizard because i have a lot of party stuff and whatever is i have discarded drana silencer to fissure wizard to set up thwart the grave to cast drana basically cast drana silencer ahead of time and that's actually a really strong play when you can put Drama Silencer and another thing onto the battlefield before turn six and like kill it. You're just so far ahead. It's like Ardent Electromancer play plus plus plus. That's just a, a cute little thing to be aware is like a fringe synergy that you can find in this archetype. Let's let's talk briefly about clerics because they're obviously in a similar situation to wizards where there aren't very many of them. And there's kind of this like, you know, there's the, the gain life package thing that clerics are doing where at common there's uh marauding uh blight priest and at uncommon there's sign of the swarm which both have uh reasonably powerful triggers one of them is just your opponent loses life the other is get plus one plus one when you gain life these things that reward you for a persistent life gain for the most part red black's not great at persistent life gain but if you end up in a spot where you have a few of these cards then it's very easy to ignore everything i said about not wanting ghastly gloom hunter in this archetype and instead just accept that you're doing the ghastly gloom hunter thing that black does where you have some ghastly gloom hunters and some marauding blight priests and then you probably increase your prioritization of subtle strike because it's really good to put a plus one plus one counter on your ghastly gloom hunter and that's just a little package that it's easy to build into this kind of deck malachir blood priest the two mana two one that drains your opponents for party when it enters the battlefield this is a card that I've heard people talk up in White Black Clerics, and I think that that's kind of a misevaluation of what is going on in Black White Clerics. I, I think it's a fine playable in Black White Clerics, but I don't think it's important to that archetype. I think that archetype is about building an engine, and this like one-time trigger is not what I care about in that archetype. The play pattern that this card wants is you apply a bunch of pressure to your opponent, you trade off this thing for something, you bring it back, you get its trigger again, and now you have like a lot of reach built into your deck. And that's the exact plan that Red Black Party is going for. I think uh, that 
if the table were full of me drafting, all of the Malakir Blood Priests would float to the red-black drafter, and their deck would be a lot stronger for it. I think that uh, there are people who prioritize it in black-white to their detriment, which makes it harder for you to get in red-black, but that's not that big of a concern. It requires, like, that specific... I mean, it's just sometimes a card doesn't make it to you. It's whatever. But uh, I, I do think that uh, the Blood Priest is a pretty good two-drop in this deck. Just uh, especially because it's a way to get cleric that isn't bad, where so many of the other clerics are asking you to do something that your deck probably isn't in the business of doing most of the time. So th that's that's my like high priority, the cleric I'm looking for, um, I guess is the way to put it. With rogues, I might as well uh, kind of talk about rogues categorically just for completeness sake. Uh, things to mention there. I think that uh, Sneaking Guide and Mnemonist Guide Answer are both pretty good cards in this archetype. You are good at pushing early damage with your uh, bug catchers and your warriors in general, but often your opponent can stabilize against this kind of thing, and then you're looking for a way to close the game. And having some evasive creatures in the form of Sky Dancer or Sneaking Guide, or the aforementioned Drain Plan with Blood Priest, or burning your opponent out with Royal Eruption and Synchronized Spellcraft. Like, there are a lot of different ways to accomplish this, like, I'm going to get some damage in, and then my opponent's going to uh, get their defenses going, and then I'm going to need need to end the game. There are a lot of ways to do it. Uh, you need you almost certainly want to have some of them, and it's not bad to have more of that. It's not, there's no problem with having a lot of reach. Just a thing to be thinking about is you want to make sure that your deck is not just like coming out hot and then getting bricked and can't close. Another card to talk about just because it's so specifically pointed at this deck is Ravager's Mace. I feel like I've... So I don't consume a ton of other people's content. I've mostly learned by drafting myself or drafting, yeah, you know, my own experiences. And I, I believe that in the community at large, I think my impression is that they're kind of mixed opinions on this card or maybe that it's not great. I, I think it's very narrow because I don't think Red Black is a super great deck to be in, so I'm not looking to take Ravager's Mace early. But I do think that it's like a card that I'm not... I, categorize it as a good uncommon payoff for the deck. I, I don't plan to like draft red black and then not want to play a mace that I have access to. And I think that it does in general, like it's it's an above replacement level card. It's not a bomb, but it's it's good in the deck and it's a, it's a strong card. Additionally, this is should be pretty obvious with everything that I've talked about in terms of I've mentioned that there will be times when you want to uh, play tricks to kind of preserve your uh, bug catcher advantage. And I've talked about subtle strike uh, synergies with Gloom Hunter if you're playing it. Also really good with bug catcher uh, since it'll generally save your bug catcher in combat and then make it more of a threat later. What, I, what I'm getting at here is I think this is an archetype that does like combat tricks. Uh, both Inordinate Rage and Subtle Strike are cards that I'm happy to play in this archetype, and the way that I prioritize cards myself relative to how other people prioritize cards means that in this archetype I'm dramatically more likely to have those cards in my deck than I am to have, uh, say, a Vanquish the Week, where I don't know, I don't care about Vanquish the Week in this deck. Like, Vanquish the Week is, that kind of effect to me says that you're trying to kill utility creatures, and in a deck that's really aggressive like this and has access to red cards and just like a lot of ways to pick things off, there aren't a lot of utility creatures. I'm, I, I don't see utility creatures as being particularly threatening to me. There also just aren't a lot of them in the format. 
it's obviously great to have it to be able to kill like a core celebrant specifically and that's all well and good but i'd just assume put my opponent under enough pressure that they have to block when I attack, and then they block one of my creatures with their Celebrant, and I play a trick and kill it that way. And that way, if my opponent plays some kind of large creature that I actually can't attack through, now I have a card in my hand that allows me to interact with it. Maybe I have to two-for-one myself, maybe I don't, but uh, I can inordinate rage something to get through my opponent's 6-5 or whatever, where uh, Vanquish the Week just wouldn't do anything. And also, I could just you know use like sneaking guide to get a two power creature through inordinate rage hit him for five damage and close the game out um and you know synchronize er, sorry uh vanquish the week just doesn't like go to your opponent's face like that so that that's a card that you know maybe maybe you're supposed to pick it over a trick when you see them both in the same pack i i couldn't you know say for sure one way or another but i just don't take vanquish early and so i don't end up with them and so my deck will end up having tricks instead of those and Obviously, I would recommend, like, I, I drafted that way for a reason. I would recommend doing the same thing. That is, that kind of wraps up uh, what I had to say about this archetype in terms of covering everything that I think is important. Um, so thank you, everyone, for tuning in and uh, listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, again, patreon.com slash drafting archetypes if you're digging the content here i've updated the rewards you can have access to my uh all my draft logs on 17 lands you can get access to my extremely chaotic and scattered show notes where i just kind of analyze whatever seems important to me to understand what's going on on a scattered spreadsheet with very little information just get an inside look into my uh weird process some other cool rewards so uh check that out and thank you and i will see uh you next week and regardless of whether you are watching this stream now or uh listening later stay tuned or uh tune in again to the bonus episode where i will be uh covering questions from my viewers here live on twitch and that's happening right now